love the phrase that Father David used, the high drama of the liturgy. I want you to know that uh, it is not part of the high drama of the liturgy to have our building shaking during the service. If you're on the live stream, uh, we're in North Texas under a wind advisory today, and from I'm not a building guy, but my estimation is there's been some building damage, and we're going to hear some rumbling uh, throughout the service. That's not part of it, but it also kind of is. Um, as we go throughout this week, what we're going to see is that the Lord Jesus' plans to put in place the church is kind of a mystery to the disciples. And here we stand over 2,000 years later after this day looking back going, really, really? We've taken some wind damage. Uh, we're kind of a mess. And we look back on this day and we see King Jesus loving us, going out ahead of us, uh, being the perfect offering for our own brokenness. This morning, you saw the kids help reenact really what was one of the most important days in Jesus' entire life. It was his inauguration day. If we were to borrow sort of a cultural practice from our own day with this one, this was one of the biggest moments in the life of Jesus. You got to know that Jerusalem was the center of everything for his culture and his people. It was the economic center, the culture, cultural center. It was everything for the Jewish people. And the uh, uh, Jewish historian Josephus helps us to understand that particularly at the time of Passover, Jerusalem would have been filled with almost 2 million extra people more than usual. So this was not only the center, Jerusalem, but this was a central day in the life of the Jewish people. And Jesus enters into the city on this day. And you, you saw uh, this procession that we, we did. It, it's very tiny compared to what actually would have happened. Um, I made this comment at the beginning of the service that uh, if Jesus had, had had a GPS in his pocket, um, it, it said the destination was Jerusalem. His entire life and ministry, he has to remind people that he's headed somewhere. He's on his way somewhere. And there was times of confusion, and he would have to say, I'm, I've come actually to set my face on Jerusalem. To arrive at this city and place wasn't just a geographical destination, but it was to fulfill his role as king and savior, as Messiah. And so today, this day is this big inaugural day parade. The crowds, the crowds are huge. Huge crowds. Every four years in our culture, we have these Inauguration Day parades. And um, in our day, uh, it's not a donkey, but what is it? A jet black brand new Escalade. Flags flapping in the wind. Uh, probably has, you know, less than 25 miles on the car. It, this is our idea of like, what's a worthy vehicle to, to transport the new leader of a nation into sort of a victory parade. Now you're kind of getting the cultural idea of a king entering the city on a cult, a donkey that's never been ridden. And this is a big deal because Jesus and the gospel writer Luke make it a big deal. Have you ever wondered, if you've ever read this passage in Luke 19, why make such a big deal of the donkey? I mean, it takes up a lot of space of the story. 
Like, not only that you're going to get this donkey, Jesus is going to ride on it, but like how they come to possess it takes up a big part of our gospel reading. And as we've looked at this over time and over years, I, today I want to focus on this because I see Luke focusing on it. I see Jesus making a big deal of this vessel, this donkey. So why does he need the donkey? Question one. Two, why is it so important how he obtains it? And then three, what in the world are we to do with that in our lives today? So the first one, why does he need the donkey? Um, you got to know, this is a day that the people of God had been praying for, for like over 100 years. Uh, the people that are gathering and waving palm branches had been longing for a day where they would be set free from Roman occupation. And, and the prophecies of the Old Testament would be fulfilled that God had promised that he would send a Messiah that would set his people free. And the Jewish people have been longing for this day. They had been looking forward to this day. If you know anything about the historical moment, the Roman rulers of the day had put in place a puppet government. You've probably heard that term recently in the news. When one adjacent nation takes over rule by force, they can install what's called a puppet government. It's not a real government according to the people of that land. And this is the, 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 the way in which the Jewish people are experiencing their everyday life. They're under Roman occupation and Roman rule. They're under the thumb. They feel oppressed and they are oppressed. And so they've been looking forward to this day and they resent that. And they've been begging God for a new king. And if you know anything about the Old Testament story that was the story of these people, it had been promised that one day a Messiah would come. Look at how specific this one promise is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Look at this verse on the screen with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. He comes into the city of Jerusalem, claiming to be the king for the Jewish people. And I'm telling you, nobody missed it. Everybody on this day, or eventually throughout that week, even the Romans eventually understand what Jesus is claiming to be doing on this day, even to the point at which when he comes in, he comes in through the Mount of Olives. And so even though he had to ascend on his way up to Jerusalem, he enters the old city actually from the Mount of Olives. He's riding on an unwritten cult. He is fulfilling the very thing and he is proclaiming that he is the king on this day. Nobody misses it. Five days later, they're going to sentence him to death on the cross, and there's going to be a sign put above his head. And what is that sign going to say that's put above his head? King of the Jews. This is what he claimed to be. It's an interesting moment because up until this point in Jesus' life, he's only walked. Did you know that? He only walked everywhere. He was, he was far too poor to own a donkey. And so today, to fulfill what had been promised... And to enter into the city as is appropriate for a king, Jesus has a need. The king has a need. He needs a donkey. Last week, we saw that you and I want to be free from any rule, that the natural posture of every human heart is to think that we're in charge of our life, that we're somehow owners. And we saw that 
that's not actually the way it ought to be, that God is our creator and our owner, and yet we reject that claim on our life apart from his grace at work. And today what we see is that even though we reject him as the creator and owner of our lives, he shows himself to be the kind of king that we need, a savior king, the kind of king who will use his power and authority not to oppress but to set free. He's the kind of king that will come so humbly and so vulnerably that he won't even have transportation that's needed on Inauguration Day. It comes up a time or two in the past eight years that I've been with you, but Tolkien's famous line from Lord of the Rings is so good here. When it says, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. This is a king that will bring salvation, not by oppressing or abusing his power, but by using his power to be a perfect sacrifice for others, for the whole world. And he comes into the city proclaiming that he is indeed the king. How does he get this donkey? This is what I want us to pay attention to because Luke wants us to pay attention to it. In chapter 19 of Luke, he goes on to explain how is Jesus going to become in, come into possession of this donkey. And look at the instructions that are given around about verse 30. He sends two of his disciples saying, I want you to go into the village in front of you, and where upon entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. I want you to untie it, and I want you to bring it here. Now, in that day, donkeys were as valuable to, to them as like a brand new car is to us, especially in the last two years. Wow, cars are expensive. And imagine you have a brand new car sitting on the, in the garage. It like has virtually no miles on it, and somebody comes and is like, hey, I'm going to borrow it, okay? Just take it into the, to, to the city uh, just for a day or so. Uh, you'd be like, hey, where are you going with my car? You can't just take my car. And Jesus says, you're gonna, need, you're gonna need a password. You're gonna need the passcode. And it's an interesting password or code that's given to them. Here's all there to say, the owner needs it. The Lord has need of it. That, that's exactly what they're to say to the owners of the donkey is that the Lord, the king, needs it. Where are you going with my car? The Lord needs it. And so they do. They go to the city. They, ahead of them, they find this cult. And indeed, they end up being asked, what are you doing? And they kind of awkwardly say, the Lord needs it. Boom, done. That's all it took. That's the password that you need. They find the donkey. They say the password. Now, we don't know because we don't have a text that supports what was going on in the minds and hearts of the people who were the, the owners, the tenants of the donkey. We don't, we don't get much commentary on that. Uh, but, but we do know that they needed the password. And this was a culture that was accustomed to people commandeering things. This comes up throughout the New Testament that once they were under Roman rule, we know that there were occasions where a soldier could say to somebody, hey, you, I'm tired of carrying my backpack. I'm going to commandeer your labor for my use, carry my pack for a, a mile. Commandeered, the labor. This was a culture that would have understood 
uh, rulers coming in and saying, hey, you're going to do this for me, or you're going to give me your car for the day. They could commandeer you or your possessions or your labor, and kings were used to doing this. And this king says, I have need of it. For our passage today, it's, it's significant to know that this unridden cult is an animal that would have been reserved for royalty. And I think because of the translation, maybe, or because of just the way we pair it with Philippians 2, we misunderstand the significance of this. It's like, ah, he just rode in on a little wimpy donkey. That's how we hear it as Texans maybe, or the way Romans might have seen it. But in this culture, in this day, this was an animal reserved for royalty. And Jesus says, go out ahead of you and let them know the king, the Lord, needs it. And he gets up on the donkey. He rides into the city, and he is proclaiming by this action that he is the king. It's never been ridden. It's reserved for royalty. Jesus mounts the colt and rides into the city. I want you to see three differences between this king and any other leader, any other leadership, any other rule and reign this world has ever known. The first one is this. In this little phrase, we're going to pay attention to it. This little phrase, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Three things I want to say about this. One, the Lord needs it. I mean, uh, you know what an oxymoron is? Um, It's interesting. The Greek uh, makeup of that one word is sharp, dull. The very word oxymoron in Greek actually is an oxymoron in our English language. These are two things that don't go together. Um, There's funny examples of this in our own culture. Um, Fresh frozen. That you don't don't think, I mean, is it fresh or is it frozen? How long has it been frozen? How can you claim that it's fresh frozen if I know some of you that know food better than I do might not find that as being, that's not, that's kind of an oxymoron. They don't go together. Here's some others from our culture. Uh, When my kids ask me, hey, dad, can we? And I say, it's a definite possibility. (laughs) Any other parents ever say that? It's a definite possibility. Um, hey, can we get an exact estimate for what the price is going to be in a couple weeks? These are oxymorons. These are things that don't go together. A definite possibility, an exact. Uh, here's, here's the last one. Can, uh, have you seen the original copy? These are things that don't go together. Here's, it, we miss it. The Lord in need. The Lord in need is an oxymoron. These things don't go together. The Lord has need of it. How can you say the Lord, the creator of all things, or the king has need, is vulnerable? Look at what Psalm 50 proclaims about our God. I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. God proclaims the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains. The insects in the fields are mine. Now we're getting down to pretty granular detail here. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. He has need of no thing, and yet he needs it. The Lord needs it. He's the king, and yet he doesn't own a car for his inauguration parade. And what you heard read in the epistle from Philippians 2 helps you to understand why this is the password, the secret you know, if you've ever not had the password to something really important, this is, this is the password to help you understand the mystery of this world. The Lord needs. God took on human flesh, emptied himself, made himself nothing 
Paul writes in Philippians 2. He did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You and I, we naturally reject God's claim to ownership. We reject his rightful claim to be our king. But here's how good and gracious he is. He leaves the party to come find us. He stands on the porch waiting for the rebel to return home, to come out and greet us with his grace and mercy. What a king Jesus is. You know why you can trust King Jesus? Because this is what he does with his power and authority. He surrenders it for the sake of others. There's no other king like this. There is no other human being who would ever have this access to power. You've heard the quote, right? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. I'm, yeah. This is a king you can trust. Here's a king who has need. He becomes utterly vulnerable. And he comes to us today on Palm Sunday and he says something. The Lord needs it. Now, firstly, I want you to see why he's different, why his kingship is different, and why this little password to life is so important because our king, my king, your king became vulnerable. The Lord needs it. What a statement of vulnerability. Secondly, in this little phrase that we're paying attention to, the Lord needs it. Imagine you're the owner of the donkey and, you know, I, I need this new car for the day. What has Christ, over this Lenten season, been nudging you to let go of. I'm convinced that not once in life, but multiple times throughout our journey in faith, Christ comes to us and very clearly, very simply says, I have need of it. Now, what is it? What is it? It's probably not a donkey in all of our cases. A couple of prompts here. What is it that Christ has been nudging you to make available to him over this Lenten season? A way to think about that is, if you were here last week, where is the area of your life that you are currently saying, I've got this, I've got this under control, I can do it? Where have you been acting like an owner and not a tenant? Well, then the Lord has need of it. Another way to get at it is, where do you feel vulnerable? Where do you feel vulnerable? Where do you feel weak? Your health? Family relationships? Some sort of grief or pain in your life? I want you to know the Lord has need of it. You've got to give it over to him. Where are you holding on too tight? Sort of white knuckling life. Typically that's a way of pointing to something that you've put in a place it doesn't belong. The Lord comes to each of us and says in a very personal way that he has need of it. Can you imagine being the owner of this donkey on this day? Because it's kind of an odd thing. He's, the owner is told, the family is told, that the Lord has need of it and, and he'll return it. The Messiah ends up riding in on that donkey. We don't, we don't know because we don't know if they were people that understood what was going on, but can you imagine if it was yours and you understood that the king rode in? You'd never look at that possession the same way. 
you can trust this king. He's a king who goes to the cross. He's a king who has healing in his hands. He's the only king who won't abuse his power in your life. He's the only king that I know of that would say, I have need of it, but I'm actually going to return it to you in ways that you can't imagine. The thing that he's asking you to surrender, he has better plans and he will take better care of you in your life than you will in your own self-rule. He comes in saying, I'm the king into Jerusalem this day. But what you and I know is um, some people took notice, but many did not. They didn't take him seriously. In fact, the sign that's put above him is a mocking sign, isn't it? The so-called king of the Jews. And if you compare and contrast royal entrances to cities after victory or before a great inauguration, you would know this pales in comparison in human terms even. But he comes into the city, he proclaims to be king, and we know that he's picked a fight already and the Jewish leaders are very angry. Why are they angry? Because now there's no sort of parable hiding it. Jesus, you are proclaiming to be the Messiah. Tell your disciples to shut their mouths. No, Jesus says, I am the king. I am the Messiah. I'm here to save. Now, we didn't read it, but the story goes on to Jesus stepping back and weeping over Jerusalem. After he rides in, he weeps because he knows that like like us, this is a crowd of people who want resurrection life without a death. This is a crowd of people who want to participate in a victory without realizing the cost that has to be paid. I want to invite you this Holy Week to journey with Jesus, to learn his kingly ways. Wow, this week, you're going to see the ways of our King. And as we would typically look at Maundy Thursday, he's the kind of king, according to Philippians 2, who will take off his outer cloak, who will take on the form of a servant, and he'll wash his disciples' feet, and he'll say to them, you know, the, 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 those who rule here on earth, they lord it over others, and he says, not so with you. You're to, you're to be like me. You're to, you're to have the same attitude that I have. Now, this week, uh, we prayed a blessing over the palms. And as we leave today, after we come and participate in the table, as we leave today, you're going to be invited to take a palm leaf. And I want this to be an invitation to you. It typically was a sign of victory. I want it to be a, a, a reminder to you this week as an invitation. What is it in your life on this Palm Sunday, on this Holy Week, that our Lord is saying that he has need of it. Would you take that as a reminder? And then on Good Friday, would you come back with us? And during that Good Friday service, you're gonna have an opportunity to really extend it over to the Lord. I want you to journey with Jesus this Holy Week, to learn his kingly ways, to see that he's the kind of Lord that makes himself vulnerable, that, that has need. And he invites us to participate in this week with him. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, that there is indeed healing in your hands. God, we thank you that you are a king like no other who will use your power to bless and not to oppress. As we come before you this morning, Lord, as we come to your table, 
would you shape us and, and mold us into being the kind of people who would go out into the world on mission in the same way, taking on the form of a servant Lord, being people who are needy. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.